Let's begin with a quick word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I'm just grateful to be on the stage and to get to preach from your word this morning. I'm grateful for, for you and your character and just all that you are, God. Um, this isn't about me. This isn't about any one of us, about Ozark. It's about you. And Lord, we're grateful that your glory and immeasurable worth is displayed in all of creation and in us and in your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, first, I just want to say uh, thank you to uh, all my professors who have brought me here. For all of those of you who are uh, praying, uh, have prayed for me. Thank you for uh, you as students for, for being here. I know it's a, a Thursday, and uh, typically I think that on BTH B- sermon days, attendance takes a little bit of a dip because you guys still have your four uh, misses, so you throw in that token, and it's like, okay. I'm, uh, I'm out of here for, for this one, but I'm glad that they moved it up because when it was at the end of semester, if you had your misses, you're just, you're just gone. You guys are all sleeping in. So um, anyway, hey, thanks for being here. Glad to, glad to be here with you guys. Uh, but I've really enjoyed this series that we've been in this semester, uh, Still uh, True. And all of the individual sermons that um, we've, we've heard so far this semester have been wonderful and uh, personally, personally edifying, but Apart from each sermon that we've listened to, I think that there is something that we can learn from the series as a whole. In this series, week by week, we've looked at various truths and ideas that we have esteemed to be still true, meaning these thoughts are as true today as they were when we first learned them, whenever we learned them and however we learned them. And so for some of us, we were taught from someone who is much older than us and, and wiser than us that God does answer prayer. And they've had the life experience to know the very faithfulness of God. And for others of us, we uh, learned in Sunday school from a flannel graph board that uh, Jesus is God's son. And we also uh, learned from maybe a song that Jesus loves us from a children's song when we were in Sunday school. But without recapturing the entire series, the point is, is fairly simple. Whenever and however we learn these truths, they are, they're still true. And I think that we take, what we take away from this as a whole is that though we may grow in knowledge and wisdom of such things and grow in, in our understanding of theology and, and doctrine, we never move beyond a childlike faith. I love the words of uh, J. Gresham Machen who said, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. The greater our progress in theology, the more simpler or the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. So though you will surely grow in maturity during your time here at Ozark, and you're expected to, you're expected to grow in maturity. One thing that I hope that you will leave here with is a paradoxical faith, a faith that is both mature and robust as it is childlike and unreservedly trusting. So in keeping with this theme uh, this morning, my aim today is to convince you of that which you likely already know to be true, and that is that God is big. It's a lesson that we learned from our uh, singing vegetable friends, uh, Bob and Larry, right? Um, I think they're going to put the words up here on the screen for you guys, but it's that God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. And I, I had them put, them put the words up on the screen so that we could all sing it together this morning. So, yeah, that's right. 
That's right. So I'll lead in it. Uh, my wife is just absolutely mortified right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you all in this. So on the count of three, we're all going to sing together. Ready? One, two, three. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. Very nice. Yes. This God is, God is big. He's infinite in, in worth and in size, and he's eternal God. I mean, in fact, he is, he's the biggest. He's infinite, and there can be no other. I mean, while many of us know this to be true, what a difference it would make if we actually lived as if it was. As if it, as if it really was true, as if we really believed that God was as big as we say that he is. See, I don't know about you, but I have this problem in my life, this terrible habit of making God look incredibly small and insignificant in my life. As if he isn't really the all-powerful creator God of the universe who loves me and who died for my sins and who raised Christ from the dead. I mean, theologically, uh, my God's as, as big as they come. He's all of the omnis. Um, he's om, om, omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, even omnibenevolent. But practically, practically speaking, he may as well be omni-nothing. Practically, we make God look small, and our actions reflect the true nature of our theology. So when I started putting this sermon together, I started thinking to myself, is there some example that I can share with all of you from my own life of a way that I've made God small in my own life? Is there some big and obvious way that um, I've made God small? And as I started thinking about that, I started thinking about um, the film Bruce Almighty. If you've seen that movie, then uh, you know that the the main character in that, Bruce Nolan, he's, a, he's an anchorman on TV and he gets pretty fed up with God and uh, he curses him, but then he meets God in some warehouse and he receives all of God's power uh, for a time, but he uses it for his own selfish gain. And there's this point in the film where he actually goes up and, and teleports himself to the top of a, uh, a skyscraper and as he's up there, he uh, whips up this lightning storm and he shouts out to the world and in the face of God, I am Bruce Almighty. My will be done. So as I was thinking, I was trying to come up with something reminiscent of this film, some obvious way that I had shouted in the face of God, I'm Tyler Almighty. My will be done. But as I was thinking about this, I came to the realization that rarely, if ever, do I shout at God in such obvious ways. My guess is that rarely, if ever, do you either. Because the thing is, is that we don't de-God God in such obvious ways. It's always in the small ones, in the little ways that we strip God of his deity. I mean, I make God small in my refusal to pray. I make God small when I put more trust in my own ability and strength than in his. We make God look incredibly small when we rely on ourselves, because it's not major objections that reveal our true theology, it's the small ones. It's when we think that God must not really care about our situation. I mean, is God really as concerned with your loneliness as you are? Does God really care or think much about the doubts that I have? Does he not, is he not really concerned 
with the fears that I have? Does he not see how much I am struggling? And that is not to say that we shouldn't take our loneliness or our doubts or our fears to God, but our faithlessness is revealed when we take matters into our own hands because we are impatient with God, because God moves too slow for our agenda, or because he hasn't dealt with our struggles in the way that we, that we imagine that he would. You see this kind of thing all the time in the uh, sporting worlds. Uh, parents, players, uh, fans are always making objections um, to the coach's ability uh, to make decisions for his team. I mean, doesn't he realize that she would be his star player if he would just give her the chance? Uh, what, what kind of decision did that, was that? What kind of call or play call was that? And if I'm not careful, I'm going to start sounding like I've been the last couple weeks during the Chiefs games. <laughs> but when a fan questions a coach's decisions, they aren't really doubting whether the right decision was made. They're really doubting the competency of the coach to be making the calls on the sideline. In fact, the fan sitting in their lazy boy in the living room really believes that they could post a, probably a higher winning percentage than the coach could. And the same could be said with how we often come at God. If I only had the chance, things would be so much better. Well, there's a reason the coach is on the sideline and you are in the stands, and there's a reason that God is God and we are not. And it is one thing to make God small in your own life, but also consider the ramifications for others, for those that you may one day minister to. Imagine going through an entire week of programming and teaching and discipling and meetings without ever calling on God in prayer and asking for his provision, for his help, for his guidance, his wisdom, his power, his spirit. What kind of message was, does that send to the businessman, to the nurse, to the, the painter that we minister to? When they see in our own lives that God doesn't make a difference, a God that we talk about, that we say is so big and so wonderful, doesn't make an impact on our own life and our own ministry, how can they expect that it would make any kind of impact on their own life? So here's the bottom line for us this morning. For me, I'm guessing probably for you, for all of us, and it is that my God is too small. My guess is, is that your God is too small. So the question that remains for us then in the time that we have left this morning is how do we honor the magnitude of God in our lives? How do we make much of our big God? And for that, we look to the book of Jonah, or sorry, the book of Job for help. In Hebrew with John, we're, we're doing a bunch of stuff in Jonah right now, so I'm all, I'm all backwards on that. But we're gonna go to Job. So first, a bit of context for you, if you're a bit unfamiliar with the story of Job. Job um, was a righteous man, but his uh, life, where we find him and pick up this story of Job, um, his life is an absolute mess. He was a wealthy man, he um, had lots of family, but all of that had been stripped away from him. He had been brought down to absolutely nothing. But throughout all of it, Job maintains his own righteousness, but his knucklehead friends think that if Job is suffering, then he must um, be being punished by God for something. He must have done something wrong. But Job, throughout all of it, maintains his innocence. And so in Job chapter 31, he takes this final oath to force the hand of God to come and answer him. And he takes this oath of innocence so that if he's not innocent, that God's going to have to punish him for taking this oath that was untruthful. 
But if he is, in fact, innocent, then God is going to have to come and he's going to have to answer him. And so he's searching for an explanation from God. But he doesn't get that until chapter 38. He doesn't get that answer from God until seven chapters later. And we heard some of those words from God um, read earlier this morning to Job in the, the scripture that's read earlier in the service. But the basic idea of what God is saying to Job is that I am God and you are not. Through this series of rhetorical questions, he's asking, were you there when I formed the very foundations of the earth? No, you weren't. I was because I am creator God. I am God and you are not. And I will not be bound by your humanly devised systems of understanding. In other words, your idea, Job, of who I am is too small. And look at how Job responds to what God has said in Job 40, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. You ever had one of those moments where you've said too much or uh, the wrong words have come out and you find your hand flying up to your face to cover your mouth, trying to hold the words in? Well, this is Job, but it's already too late for him. All of the words have already come out. He's already made God look small in his own life and look small to his friends and to the world. And what Job is trying to say is, okay, God, I've heard you. I've got your message. Your message is loud and clear. You are God Almighty, and I I am nothing. So while I still can, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to shut up. Sit down and shut up. Coming back around to the question I posed a few minutes ago, how do we honor the reality of the magnitude of God in our own lives? How do we make much of this big God? Well, I think the message is that we should follow the example of Job by sitting down and shutting up. To live a life that honors a truly infinite measure, the the truly infinite measure of God, we need to sit down and zip it. So start by pulling up a chair and, and have a seat. In uh, the video of where um, the, the song uh, God is Bigger Than the Boogeyman comes from uh, in Veggie Tales, uh, Bob and Larry had gone up to Junior's room. Junior's a little asparagus, if you remember this, and um, he's scared, and um, there's eyes in the closet, and there's little monsters jumping into his jammies, and, and so Bob the Tomato asked him, so when you're lying in your bed, and um, you're, everything's feeling kind of creepy and the eyes are in the closet the monsters are jumping into your jammies what are you going to do? and Junior responds and he says I'm going to call the police but Bob says no no you don't need to do anything Junior says what? why? why not? why? because God is bigger God is bigger than your loneliness He's bigger than your doubts and your fears. God is bigger than your guilt and your shame, and he's certainly bigger than your sins. There's nothing that you can do that God can't do, and there's certainly plenty that you're incapable of doing, that I am incapable of doing, that God can do. So the first step to showing the world that God is big is to take a seat on the bench and allow God to be God. In theological terms, we would say that God is infinite, meaning that God is limitless. He knows no bounds. He is measureless. A.W. Tozer says, of all that can be thought or said about God, his infinitude is the most difficult to grasp. 
Even to try to conceive of it would appear to be self-contradictory. For such conceptualization requires us to undertake something which we know at the outset we can never accomplish. Yet we must try. So though it is impossible for us to fully know a boundless, limitless, and immeasurable God, we must, as Tozer says, we must try. We know at least this about the infinitude of God. That if God is infinitely big, then we can joyfully turn from our own limitations to a God who has none. You don't need to actually do anything because God is big. So if you haven't already, pull up a chair and while you're at it, go ahead. And, and again, I say this in the nicest way that I can. Shut up. I learned in one of my classes here at Ozark that Good theology begins in silence. And when you first hear that, you might think, well, there can't be two more contradictory things that could be said. Theology, the two words that make it up, the, the study of God, the two Greek words for, for God and, and word, uh, theos and, and logos. You know, it wouldn't be a BTH sermon without some Greek thrown in there. But theos and logos, words about God, how can good theology begin then in silence. Well, good theology must first come from the recognition that in order to honor God for who he is, we must first recognize that our words about him will never measure up to the true nature of his character. Job thought that he deserved a hearing from, with God. He believed that he had a right to question God, but God showed him as he spoke about himself that Job's words were no match for his own. I mean, the word of God created the heavens in the earth. It spoke to Moses through the burning bush. It causes dry bones to come alive. It called Lazarus out of the grave. The word of God softens the dead hearts of sinners and makes them alive again. And the word of God goes out and accomplishes all that he intends it to do. It does not return to him void. But what is the what has Job's word done? What has my word done? What has yours done? God is nothing if he is not his word. The word of God is big and it knows no bounds. It knows no limits. The power of God is, uh, uh, the power of his word is unmatched and the beauty and power of God and his word should leave us speechless. So sit down and shut up because God is big. But see, here's the thing, guys. If we leave it there, we will never be able to live as if God truly is as big as we claim him to be, as, as if he is truly the almighty and infinite, infinite God. Because you'll either be consumed with the task of making God look so big that you're going to make him in uh, to be something that he, that he is not, a, a figment of your own imagination, or you'll be so crushed under the weight of God's glory and, and weightiness the truth is, is that we'll never be like Job unless we also become like John the Baptist and turn to Jesus. Because, Jesus or because when John the Baptist saw Jesus in his glory, he pointed to him and said, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, God will never be as big as he ought to be in your life unless you first come to the realization of how this big God became small for you. How in Jesus, God became small. He became a child, the fullness of the deity dwelt bodily in Jesus Christ as he put on the limits of human 
flesh so that he could go to the cross and die for us. See, only in Christ will you see how limitless is the love and mercy and grace of God, that only in Christ is his love endless, and only in Christ is God endlessly merciful, and only in Christ is God endlessly gracious, and only in Christ is he endlessly rich. And only in Jesus Christ will we have for eternal, unlimited access to the favor of God. And his love and his grace are only infinite in him because God held nothing back from his son when he poured out his wrath upon him. Only because Jesus experienced the full wrath of God is the grace of God given to us. The cost of the endless love and mercy and grace of God was his son. For God so loved the world that he gave. Only through Jesus Christ will you be able to see that God really is big. Oh, he's the biggest, and he's watching out for you and me.